BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, August 25th. It's just moments away. But before we do this, oh, are you smoking pot, Ben? <laughs> just seeing if you're paying attention. <laughs> hey, Jim, Chicago, what's going on? Joan, what's happening? All right, the Ben Jarofsky Show for Wednesday, August 25th. It's just moments away. But before we do this, let's thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union. Yeah, it's true. When are we getting Jesse Sharkey on the show? Uh, I don't know, but I just cut a deal with S D G. All right, cool, cool, cool. You know, I mean, Jesse, we we're more of an S D G crowd. Okay, you know, we like Jesse, but S D G is one of my favorite people in the universe. So, Stacey Davis Gates. Oh, where's my Jesse Sharkey and traffic sound effect when I need it? Uh, the Chicago teachers and Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know. The city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including the latest column from our very own Ben Jarofsky, which I believe involves former Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Yes, it does. <laughs> He's back. A monster coming out of the, the swamp. I'm Rom. I'm coming back. It's Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com. Subscribe. And if you want to help out this program, you can. You can become a bin head. Uh, ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. It is Wednesday, August 25th, and live from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's what I call Benny J. Veterans Day. In these times, writer Miles Camp-Lassen returns, as well as legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson. Now, veteran podcast host. <laughs> Old podcast host. Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Oh, that's hilarious. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here, veteran podcast host. We're calling this Wall Street Benny Wednesday. And here's why. Because I'm reading the Wall Street Journal. Ooh la la. That's why. Explanation. As everyone knows, or at least everyone knows who listens to this show, I get three, count them, three newspapers delivered to my house each day. I get the bright one, my beloved Chicago Sun-Times. I get the Tribunal, the Chicago Tribune that I've been hating on for about 40 years and counting. And I get the New York Times. Still not certain why, by the way, I want to keep my subscription to the Tribune, but because I'm slow to make any decisions, much less one so important as to discontinue a habit I've been following for 40, count them, 40 years, I haven't discontinued the Tribune subscription yet, which gives those tricky bastards at the hedge fund Tribune headquarters an opportunity to up my subscription for another six months. Yes, D, they got my credit card. 
And they re-upped me. I saw it on the credit card bill. I go, damn it. The time for hesitation's through. No time to wallow in the mire. You got to get up and discontinue the. Dennis is like, hey, man, I know that oh, song. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I don't know that song, song but uh, yeah, they'll get those newspapers will get you, man. They'll get you. They got your credit card. They're going to re-up on you. I wrote this column like, well, should I renew my subscription or not? And I laid out all the pros and the cons of renewing it. And then I quickly forgot all about it. <laughs> Meanwhile, those devious little bastards at the hedge fund re-up my prescription. My subscription, excuse me. <laughs> anyway, that's what happens when I give them my credit card. Where was I? Anyway, back to the Wall Street Journal. So today, I arose bright and early, as I do every day, with the roosters crowing at the bright and early hour of 10 in the morning. I chopped some wood, as I do every day. Okay. Uh, and then I uh, went to the barn and took out the eggs. Wait, did you move? <laughs> You've never done that before. <laughs> the chickens laid eggs, okay, D? You don't know this, because you're, you're, you're not a country boy like I am. The chickens lay eggs, and you got to take those eggs out. All right. So I took the eggs out, and then I milked a cow. I did all that at the bright and early hour of 10 in the morning. And then I walked to my porch to get my newspapers. Much to my surprise, not only was there a bright one there, not only was there a tribunal there, and not only was there a New York Times there, but drum roll. The Wall Street Journal was there. Yeah, folks, I don't know. Somehow or other, the Wall Street Journal landed on my porch, front porch this uh, morning. And I picked it up and started reading. Guess what, D? You love it. It's, I've changed who I am. I'm a capitalist. <laughs> Damn it. Okay? No more of this <laughs> liberal stuff. Man. By the way, I was really scared that it was like some kind of sting operation and that if I picked up the Wall Street Journal out from behind the bushes would pop some Wall Street Journal police. All right, sir, put your hands in the air. Keep your hands in the air where I can see them. <laughs> can you imagine them doing sting operations? You only subscribe to three newspapers. You don't deserve this fourth. Pete, keep those hands in the air. We're taking you in. But nope, no one was around. It was just me. And I went back in the house. And ever since I've been reading this Wall Street Journal, D, I am a new man. Yes, indeed. I am a capitalist. Osborne Cox. From now on, call me Osborne Cox. Oh, okay. I'm a, cap cap a captain of Wall Street and a captain of capitalist industry. All right? Pensions are too high. We've spoiled our senior citizens. Too many food stamps. Damn it. Go grow your own corn, poor people. I want a tax break. And Dennis... You're getting too much money. We're taking away that raise. No, okay, get rid of this paper. <laughs> I thought you were just going to talk about like the NASDAQ or whatever. But now you're coming after uh, me. Uh, anyway, uh, speaking of Dennis, oh, boy. Uh, since I've started reading uh, the Wall Street Journal, we've given him a new assignment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He is the person in charge of the stock portfolio at the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes. Since I've gotten the uh, <laughs> the Wall Street Journal uh, coming to my house, I've asked Dennis to open up an account at Robinhood, the Ben Jarofsky Show account. Uh, and in between producing our show and playing clips like Raylo saying, I want an answer. Or Trump doing his windmill imitation. <laughs> Dennis's job is to make investments. Hold on. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, Dennis, headline reads, Steady Demands Lifts Muni Bond Prices. Dennis. What? Did you buy those municipal bonds like I told you to? No, I just got stock in Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> I told Burger King. Oh, my God. I told you to get those municipal bonds. Now get to it. <laughs> All right. Hold on. Wait, something else. Uh-oh. Samsung to invest in chips. Whoa. Dennis, go buy me some Samsung and buy it fast. Man, damn. All right. All right. Wait, wait. No, wait. Don't play the ROM clip. Buy the Samsung. Hold on. Here's one. Waymo LLC is opening its driver-supported reboot taxis in San Francisco to selected riders. It's an important what? It's an important move for the good sister company technology and business in a major city. Dennis, buy me more Alphabet stock. Did you know we had Alphabet stock, D? Yeah. Well, I mean, it. yeah, I'm the stock guy now, of course. And we got a lot of Burger King stock. Sorry about that. <laughs> How many times have I told you, don't buy Burger King stock? I know it's really low these days. Anyway, now I will read their editorials. <clears throat> As you know, the Wall Street Journal is famous for editorials that are even to the right of the Chicago Tribune. Such a thing is not possible without falling off the earth. But here we go. This is an editorial about Biden's rush to the Afghan exits. Quote, Mr. Biden's bloody-minded refusal to adapt to the collapse of the Afghan government and military is another reminder that electing a U.S. president is a fateful choice. Character matters, but character has many parts. <laughs> I'm, so I'm sorry, folks, I can read no more. The Wall Street Journal, which is owned by Rupert Murdoch, who also owns Fox TV, is giving you lectures on character. All right, enough Wall Street Journal for me for the day. By the way, Dennis, get that alphabet stock uh, before you play the Rom Rides His Bicycle Around Michigan bit, okay? You've, want that alpha you've changed. Yes, I'm a new man since I got this Wall Street Journal. I'm just going to stay away from those editorials. Anyway. We got a great show today, everybody. Monroe Anderson has joined us. Monroe Anderson, legendary uh, writer, author, journalist, PR man, great thinker, friend of this show. Uh, and uh, he's fortified himself with a delicious bowl of granola cereal. And he's done his yoga and his Tai Chi. And he's ready to rock and roll. Uh, and then Miles Conflassen from Indies Times and Jacobin will be joining us. Uh, Miles is a little on the left, and the Monroe used to be on the left. Uh, and now he's our show centrist. He loves it when I say that. He always gets irritated at me. Ben, I was a lefty way before you were. It's just true, by the way. Well, uh, let's not and, forget our uh, third guest that's going to be coming on, uh, your angry neighbor, whose uh, paper you stole, <laughs> apparently. You know, it could be. could be. D, you know what? I never, I never thought of that. They made a mistake, and they gave the Wall Street Journal to the wrong person. Anyway, Monroe Anderson is with us right now. Welcome back to the show, Monroe. I'm glad to be back. Actually, I'm a wingnut whisperer. <laughs> That's perfect. A wingnut. By the way, I uh, you weren't here when I did my opening bit, so I'll just tell you. Uh, accidentally, somehow or other, Monroe, uh, and, uh, along with my tribune which i still subscribe to god only knows why along with my sun times which i subscribe to loyally and the new york times i found on my front porch a copy of the wall street journal 
So I've, yes, somehow, for some reason I got the Wall Street Journal today. So all day long, I'm investing in the stock market. Okay. I just bought an order Dennis as one of his many duties to buy me some alphabet stock. Um, and then when we're done with the show, I'll take stock tips from Monroe Anderson. Uh, alphabet Probably, stock is very expensive. Yes. Alphabet stock is very, it's the old Google for those taking right. notes at home. Right. All right, Monroe, since you mentioned that uh, you're a, uh, a wingnut whisperer, let's just start there. There's so much to discuss with you. As you know, I was gone last week. Uh, I was uh, on vacation in uh, Michigan with my family. Once a year, we go to Michigan. Uh, and we were MAGA country, uh, surrounded by the kind of people that get engage you in uh, spirited debates on your Facebook page. Um, I generally stay away from debates uh, with MAGA people, uh, but sometimes it's just difficult to avoid, particularly when you walk into a store, a grocery store in Michigan, uh, in the midst of a pandemic, and you're the only one wearing a mask, which happened quite a few times. Uh, so any advice you want to give me before we uh, take the deep dive into the news of the day of how to deal uh, with MAGA? Uh, like if you're wearing a mask, for instance, and they're not. Any advice you have for us? Uh, I hate to admit this, but for once you were right. So I'm not talking to Mac anymore either. Because <laughs> they, they're too far off. Uh, I mean, they're so far crazy that you can't even have a decent conversation. I mean, they, they, they really do believe that Trump is president. And he's in exile or something. And uh, they they do believe that if they take vitamins or um, medication for, to get rid of worms and cows and pigs, that um, they will be protected. I mean, I mean, it's, it's just it, 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 they're so so completely stuck on stupid that I can't deal with them anymore. Uh. Well, they're still a powerful force in this country, and we have a lot to discuss today. Afghanistan, uh, the budget uh, situation uh, in Congress, and Nancy Pelosi and the Dems getting the budget vote through. I think we're going to hold off for a lot of those topics uh, to uh, Miles joins us. So let me ask you about this okay, one. Okay, wait, wait a minute. You just, uh, now I'm going to disagree with you. They are not that powerful a force to record with. Well, let's discuss that right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, D Donald Trump, this was an interesting, uh, we were talking about this pre-show, and uh, I've been thinking a lot about this. I always say uh, that uh, MAGA controls the Republican Party and Trump uh, controls MAGA. But this weekend, as I was, we were talking about before the show, Monroe, yeah. uh, Donnie Trump went down to Alabama for one of his rallies, for one of his super spreader rallies. Right. And uh, he gave a speech, and in that speech, he uh, urged everybody to uh, get a COVID shot. Uh, and there was uh, scattered booing. Yeah. Yes, Donnie Trump booed at a MAGA rally. Right. Uh, and he immediately backed off. And he started talking, you, well, you have the right to do whatever you want. Wait, wait a minute. Are you telling me that the man who can flip-flop in a sentence before a sentence over, that he, he turned around, he flip-flopped? Yes. I can't believe it. President flip-flop. The, the, by the way, the Wall Street Journal is talking about lecturing Joe Biden on character uh, and while looking the other way at Donnie Trump. Unbelievable. But, yes, uh, President uh, flip-flop uh, in, in the course of a sentence, flip-flop. And that... 
led me to believe, uh, Monroe, that uh, Donnie Trump doesn't control MAGA. MAGA controls Donnie. And that is a scary thing. Well, they do in the sense of he's narcissistic. And so they are telling him and showing him the things that he wants to hear and see to, to fulfill his narcissism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he, he, he needs that like a, a heroin addict needs um, heroin, drugs. I mean, he's, he's hooked on that. Well, okay, so to that point, follow me on this. Uh, Donald Trump's uh, habit is if anybody criticizes him, the old days, particularly when he had access to a Twitter account, he would counterpunch. Yeah. If anybody, he would counterpunch absolutely anybody that he knew uh, that his uh, supporters despise. He would counterpunch. Yeah. He would give them nicknames. He would uh, accept no criticism, and they loved him for it. So here he is giving this speech. He makes his statement about the need to get a COVID shot. People boo. He doesn't counterpunch. No. <laughs> he quickly accommodates the people booing him. Exactly. Exactly, because he's holding that rally uh, to stroke his ego. You know, I mean, this is where he can go and have thousands of people cheer him and laugh at his jokes and just worship him. So he, he, he I mean, that would be like, um, if it, again, if you're a heroin addict, Throwing, putting your drugs in the toilet and flushing them down. Yeah, he he can't do it. He can't do it. So no, he 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 changed. Although he's had his shots, of course, and he's had cocktail yes. drugs when he had when he when he when he had COVID, and it almost took him out. So, uh, but he so so needs these people. He, he he's needy of 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 the MAGA crowd. Yeah, no, uh, Monroe. I've been collecting explanations, as you know, from the MAGA crowd why they won't take the shots, and yeah. just you talking about Donald Trump having got them uh, and getting the experimental drugs when he had COVID uh, to get through it. And there's so many bizarre explanations I've heard. Right. But one was I heard from this uh, old freak, hippie, and I'm not naming names. Uh, he has no real politics, except that uh, he's back in the day, he rock and rolled cocaine, reefer, this, that, the other thing. And he said, well, I don't want to take the shot because it doesn't have FDA approval yet. This is right before it had full FDA approval. Of course, it right. is now. And I'm like, dude. <clears throat> <laughs> You're an old pothead. Right. Yeah. You're a freaking coke. Do you, do you yeah, think right. the FDA was examining that reefer you were spending yeah. bought from Billy Bob down at the park? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That was sprayed with Lord knows what? You were sucking that stuff in? This is his brain. This is his brain <laughs> on drugs. <laughs> oh, my Lord. This country is freaking insane, Monroe. It's absolutely insane. Then there was the other guy. I told you this one. This one is my favorite excuse. This guy said he's not going to get the shot because, quote, he's a vegetarian. I mean, I just sometimes I'm just walking down the street and I think about that, Monroe. He's right. a, what does he think? There's bacon bits in that shot? Oh, you know, you know the greatest, the, one of those um, crazy ones that they do is that um, they have the, the government has a transmitter 
yeah. in the shot so they can they can trail you and spy on you everywhere yeah. once you get the shot. Now, that doesn't happen there. However, most of those people, not 100%, but most of those people have cell phones. And in fact, the government can track your every move past and present with your cell phone. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It, it makes no sense. None. Yeah, and this is the crowd that has intimidated Trump. I now believe, based on what happened Saturday, uh, that I had it wrong, and Donald Trump doesn't control MAGA. MAGA controls Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is probably goes backstage. I got a fe- feeling uh, that when he's done with these rallies, go, man, what a bunch of freaks. Uh, I know, and, and the thing is, <laughs> Trump, if any of them showed up at his, his, his club, yeah. It's for his country club in in in, um, in Florida. They would not get in. Yeah. Uh, if one one of them invited him to lunch, he would not go. I mean, he has no use for these people except to use them. All right. Now, uh, and by the way, also speaking, you pointed this out to me. Also speaking at that rally was Mo Brooks, Congressman Mo yeah. Brooks. Right. Uh, and uh, he's the one who said, we have to focus on the future, uh, not the past in right. his speech. Right. And he was booed even louder than Trump was booed. Oh, much more. Much yeah. more. I mean, they really booed him. That's, and that's not a good sign for somebody who's running for senator. No, as a Republican. As a Republican. Yeah. As a Republican that's not a good sign. Yeah, and just if anybody missed it, uh, the message uh, that's uh, oh, oh yeah, but okay, well, you're quickly though with him. He yeah. also was the guy who spoke at the uh, January sixth yes. rally, and but he had a bulletproof vest on under his, his his jacket. Yeah, so, and of course he didn't expect any violence, but it's sometimes it's just nice to, as a fashion accessory of some sort, I guess. Yeah, he thought he looked uh, sexy in it. Right. Uh, but when he said, have to focus on the future, not the past, uh, what he was getting at uh, in a roundabout way without really coming out and saying it right. was that uh, the time to uh, litigate the election uh, is over and that the reality is that Joe Biden's a president, Donald Trump's uh, not. So let's not even make this an issue. Uh, and he was booed uh, loudly for that. Uh, that the fact that he said that leads me to believe that perhaps uh, clinging to the notion that the election is stolen is even in a state like Alabama. Right. Uh, p- politically dangerous. Your thoughts on this? Uh, it's it's dangerous because, but well, you know they have this saying that um, a lie can travel around the world before the truth gets uh, its shoes tied. Mm-hmm. But at some point, because the lie ran so fast and so furious, it gets to be tired. And the Trump lie, I mean, I mean, you, you, it, it's amazing that there are some people who still believe it, but it's, it's, it's wearing very thin pretty quickly. You know, it's the um, um, Arizona uh, 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 what is that group called? The, the, uh, the recount group in Arizona. We talked. I talked about this briefly yesterday. This is so bizarre. Yeah, Monroe. Ninjas. The ninjas. Yeah, or, the ninjas. Yeah, yeah the ninjas. Right, exactly. Well, they were supposed to have a very brief because it was so obvious that the election was stolen in Arizona. They were supposed to have a quick, fast, in a hurry 
um, investigation, prove it and be done. It's, it's been going on um, for months past whenever it's supposed to happen. And they still haven't come up with any proof whatsoever because, drum roll, there is none. <laughs> uh, by, by the way, the ninjas, they had to uh, postpone uh, the release of their report. I don't know if you saw this because the leaders of this project uh, making this up. I talked oh, about yeah. this yesterday, caught oh, COVID. Right. right. Uh, so, you know. They might be uh, making it up, but you are. Yeah, no, it's uh, so having said all that, I still believe, get your thoughts on this, I still believe uh, that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee in 2024. When I was up in Michigan in MAGA country, I saw signs uh, urging him to run, uh, saying that uh, in 2024 he he will take back America and make it even greater. Mm -hmm. And I see no one in the Republican Party. They're so afraid of him. They won't even challenge him. So just the thought, how do you run against Donald Trump? Uh, if you're a Republican or Republican primary, because you have to, uh, uh, you have to dedicate your allegiance to him every day. So how, how do you justify, how do you deal with running against him and like bowing down to him? It's a a very difficult, nimble. uh, It it, it would be a challenge. However, my theory Mm -hmm. is that, the only thing Trump is going to be running uh, on or for in 2024 is the long arm of the law. <laughs> <laughs> he's not. He's not going to be doing anything else. He's he he has all these cases pending, and they're going to they're going to. My guess is some of them will hit drop at very strategic times to mess him up. Now, if you go to any legal person in the government, they would say that doesn't happen. That well, they don't I, this stuff to, to <laughs> you know, they, they would never indict him, say, um, uh, six months before the election. <laughs> Just what he thinks he's going to do, go do something. Yeah. That would never happen. They would never release his taxes. <laughs> Three months before the election. Well, I, 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 I've come to the realization that none of that matters uh, to MAGA. Uh, yeah, if, but, yeah, but MAGA's, MAGA is shrinking before our very eyes. And it will continue to shrink. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. They, uh, we shall see if they shrink so much that they don't control uh, a, a Republican primary. And we talk so much on this show about the uh, gubernatorial primary here in Illinois and the Republican candidates who are running. Uh, and absolutely every one of them is MAGA. Uh, they, uh, they're too chicken to, uh, to even say what Mo Brooks said. You know what I mean about the yeah. election? Right. Uh, and uh, no, but that's a good thing, Ben. You're, you're looking at this through the wrong end of the binoculars. Let let them win as many primaries as possible, because that way, more uh, sane Democrats will win in the primary. Mm. Because yeah, because it, I mean, first of all, what's going to happen? It looks like. Uh, is that the, the Biden's infrastructure, human and um, concrete infrastructure bills, are going to get through? They're going to pass. Uh, 
And so what happens when that goes on is that um, come the um, midterms, people are going to be getting jobs. They're going to be seeing progress of, of what Biden has done. And we'll all be happy. Yeah, I, 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 I don't see that happening right now. But we'll get into uh, okay. these issues yeah, with uh, Miles, the budget, Afghanistan. Uh, I want to address one topic with you, Monroe, before we uh, take a break and then bring Miles on. And that is what's happening in California. We've talked about it in the show many times. Larry Elder was a story in the New York Times that they finally caught it. And the New York Times finally gets around to something. Uh, you, right. you know, it's finally made its way to the mainstream. But Larry Elder, the far right uh, talk show host, uh, is the front runner the front runner yeah. to be elected governor in the state of California, which is the most democratic state in the union, perhaps yeah. Yeah. Uh, because of the recall, the gubernatorial recall election, but Gavin Newsom, the uh, governor of California, we've talked about this many times, made one of the stupidest, most arrogant decisions of the last year where he decided to have a fundraiser uh, at a uh, restaurant while around Thanksgiving time while urging people not to have Thanksgiving with their uh, family. Right. And he had already shut down. Yeah, he had already shut down the state. Right. So now they're facing uh, he's facing a recall uh, under the bizarre uh, rules of the recall he uh there's a yes or no question if the 50 percent of the people plus 50 plus one percent of the people in the state of california vote to recall him then the second question comes into uh who uh play who do you want to replace him there's like 40 people running and the front runner is larry elders who's so far right monroe he is he's beyond trump which is he could be the governor of Cal- I I don't know who to be more upset at. The Democrats of California who once again are so freaking clueless uh, or the MAGA that fell in love with Larry Elders. Your thoughts on all this? I think that um, the governor will remain the governor. At, uh, California, the last time at, uh, this they went through this was what, 2003 or something? I mean, 20,000 yeah. Three, uh, 2003 um, and he screwed it up and so we ended up getting I'll be back <laughs> and he came back twice as a matter of fact out of that however Elder is not going to win he's not going to win he just is his, the, the state is a lot more democratic now than it was then and um, uh, uh, many things are going well for California that can be controlled. Of course, there's, there's a water crisis and there are the fires going on, but n- nobody can control that. Well, uh, at the risk of being accused of being arrogant and elite, which and who's shaming voters, uh, I'm here's why I'm nervous. Yeah, because. There's a level of sophistication, and I use that word word mildly, uh, a basic understanding of how this ballot process works to to vote for Gavin Newsom. You have to know that when that first question, are you voting yes or no uh, to recall him? You have to know the right way to vote on that if to vote uh, for 
Gavin uh, to to preserve Gavin Newsom, his uh, gubernatorial position. And that's asking a lot of voters. And I remember Monroe going back in time. I think I write a column about this. Remembering you, you're old enough to remember this in 1982, uh, your old friend, Eddie Verdoliak, haha, chairman and then chairman of the Democratic Party had a punch 10 strategy. Keep it simple. Straight party voting, punch 10, punch 10. Right. And that punch 10 strategy combined with a huge turnout in the black community uh, in anger to Ronald Reagan's cuts almost, almost got Adlai Stevenson to defeat uh, a very popular Republican governor, Jim Thompson. And it was that very basic theme of punch 10. Make it simple. Just go in and punch straight Democrat. It was easy for voters. There's no easy strategy that I know, no easy um, slogan that the Democrats have come up well, with. Yeah, well, is it punch yes? Or is it punch no? Punch no. Be the easy, that, that, that's the easy way to do it. It's just like, I mean, you, you, you have a, you solve the problem. Send, send it to California. Tell them. <laughs> We're going to have a couple guys from California coming on the show. We already yeah. booked them to yeah. talk about I'm talking, it. No, I'm talking about send them your, your, in fact, you can do, do it. Uh, the Ben Jaroski show says punch. No. Punch. No. Right, exactly. Boom. That's it. It's <laughs> simple. Right. And walk exactly. out. Right. Exactly. Then go home. Go home. Punch. No. Right. Go home. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's not hard. Right. Uh, anyway. All right. Well, if, we, if only I ran. Their, and then the, the, the issue with the Democrats is they don't back up plan. We had, and I've had this conversation many times. So in other words, the reason why Larry Elders is the front runner is that the Dems didn't want to encourage a vote against Gavin Newsom by having a Democrat running, a well-known mainstream Democrat running uh, in the um, the second part of the referendum. Do you follow me? They were, well, we just want people to vote to preserve Gavin Newsom. We don't want to confuse the voters. Yeah. Somehow or other, when they don't want to confuse the voters, they end up confusing the voters. Right. No, by the way, Larry, there are things about the Democratic Party that um, bother me. No, the Democratic Party is generally its own worst enemy. Uh, And I know this. We were watching it. By the way, Larry Elders is in trouble. Uh, Just so you know, this story was in the paper today. Um, he got in trouble. Uh, an old girlfriend of him accused him of pulling a gun on her. I don't know if you saw this. I may have mentioned yeah. this to you before the show. He was yeah. supposedly high on marijuana and he pulled a gun on her. I don't ever heard of anybody high on marijuana and something. Vi- Everything about Larry Elders is weird. Oh, you know yeah. what I'm saying? As, as I was telling you um, when we talked earlier today, when I was editor of Indigo, WBBM TV called and wanted us to do a cover story on on Larry Elder. I didn't know who he was, and I looked into him, and I said, how about a hell to the no? (laughs) 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 It's no way I was going to promote somebody like him. And this is back in 2003 or four. No, Larry Elders figured out he's a black man, and Monroe and I talked about this all the time. He figured out that there's a lot of money to be made for black people who champion uh, far-right rhetoric. 
Yes. Monroe, we know this. Right. We know this. Right, because it, 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 they become the beard. Yes. The racist. The, the racist. They, they cover it up. They hide it. I've urged Monroe Anderson many times to move far to the right so he can come. Right. <laughs> he can become rich and then buy me dinner and lunch. But right. now. Exactly. I, I, I'd be like that commercial where if I became a, a right winger, I'd be like that commercial where the family is hiding out. Um, between trees, they have trees over. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they don't want them to know how stupid they were that they didn't use their, buy their car through CarMax or something. Yeah, yeah I, 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 no. I'd be hide. I'd be wearing a, 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 a disguise going out in public. Yeah, he could not show his face uh, in his beloved hometown of Gary, Indiana, ever yeah. again. Exactly. Uh, so, all right, we're going to uh, take a break. Uh, and bring uh, Miles Kamflas in. We're going to be discussing Afghanistan. We're going to talk about the budget fight uh, in Washington. Uh, Miles posed an excellent question to me, Monroe, uh, when I was talking to him about the moderates, in quotes. Uh, how can you be moderate if you're to the right of Joe Biden? I'm sorry. I don't think the so-called moderates are not moderates. They're Republicans in Democratic clothing, uh, but we'll be talking about uh, the the battle that went down in Congress and how Nancy Pelosi prevailed. And I'm going to get my all my lefty friends upset at me by uh, singing her praise. So uh, we're going to take a break. We're back. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from his attic, Miles Conf and your apartment. Don't forget that. Oh, okay. Uh, and Miles Conf Lassen's apartment uh, on the south side of Chicago as well. Uh, Monroe Anderson was with us. We seem to have temporarily lost him. I'm sure he'll figure it out and get back to us. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's good to see you, Miles. You look very uh, rested and well. Did you take a vacation too, or is it just me? <laughs> not uh, not as recently as you. I've taken a couple trips. I actually went up to Albany, Wisconsin a couple weeks ago uh, for a little music fest on a farm. Uh, very kind of hippie-oriented trip. Uh, but uh, no, Oh, I'm yeah, actually, it was PC's thing, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. A frequent guest of the show, Peter Cunningham, uh, yeah. throws a, a fun party up at uh, called Postdoc up in Albany, Wisconsin. So I was lucky, lucky enough to see him uh, rage on some tunes uh, up there. But I actually live kind of close to Peter Cunningham, not on the south side. I'm in Logan Square these days. So, oh. um, uh, yeah, so I'm a... I thought you were uh, a south a north, north sider like yourself. Oh well, uh, but he my, just so the, for the record, Miles was born and raised in Beverly on the far south side of Chicago. Big White Sox fan. It's true, and I actually have you know gone back and forth of whether I should try to buy those south side uh, White Sox jerseys that are so cool with the pinstripes because you know I grew up on the south side. I'm a south sider, but is it stolen valor? Because I've been living in Logan Square for a while. <laughs> I don't know. Valid point. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a Chicagoans' dilemma. Yeah, it is. A, that's a tough one. Uh, all right. I um, th the reason why I mentioned the vacation is uh, that Miles wrote an excellent uh, essay 
for uh, Jacobin Magazine. Uh, Monroe has rejoined us. It's good to see Monroe. So we're going to hold off on that, though, to talk about that. The, his notion that we have uh, mandatory months off. Man, what a great idea. Uh, I don't even know if they have to be mandatory, but offer months off, a month off to everybody. And it's an essay he wrote for Jacobin Magazine. I think it's worth reading. Uh, but we'll, we'll hold off on that one. Let's uh, deal with the issues of the day. And uh, when Monroe and I were talking right before the break, Miles, I uh, I did my best to quote you. I was thinking of just stealing the quote and pretending you didn't give it, but uh, uh, I don't know. I, I decided to uh, give you credit. Uh, we're talking about the moderates, in quotes, uh, in uh, Congress who were uh, threw a little hissy fit about the budget the other day and forced Nancy Pelosi to uh, delay to deal with them. And uh, you say, how could you be called a moderate? If you're to the right of President Joe Biden, and that's a great question, uh, and I would love uh, Miles Kaplan for you to answer the very question you pose by talking about what went down in Congress over the last couple of days. Uh, well, what went down was just uh, a big waste of time, really. Uh, you know, there was this group of nine that became ten. Uh, so-called moderates, really, they were, you know, conservative Democrats, right-wing Democrats who uh, oppose, uh, on some level, the idea of pushing through this omnibus uh, budget reconciliation bill that Democrats have already, you know, outlined and put forward. It would be $3.5 trillion. Um, and they claim, you know, this group that is being backed by all this dark money, including this really... Uh, absurdly awful group called No Labels. They call themselves, uh, they're calling the uh, these right-wing Democrats the Unbreakable Nine and have uh, ads out to support them. Their, their whole objective was to derail that process to pass this budget bill and instead to just focus on the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which as we know is, you know, about half a billion dollars, pretty measly in terms of um, what would take to deal with, uh, not let alone to deal with infrastructure, let alone all the other issues facing the country that the budget bill starts to tackle. So they wanted to hold it hostage. They wanted to pass the infrastructure bill first and then maybe walk away from the uh, the bigger plan, which, let's be clear, this budget deal is the Joe Biden agenda. This is what he ran on, what he campaigned on. He helped. He's the architect of it. Joe Biden is a savvy, you know, legislator himself. He didn't, you know, just hand this off to other people. He's been very involved in the crafting of this because it's going to be his signature policy achievement uh, if they can pass it. So the fact that these right wing Democrats were willing to stand in the way of that is a clear indication that they are to the right of Joe Biden. And they were, you know, trying to block his agenda. And in fact, when they tried to claim that they're they were just trying to get the infrastructure bill to his desk quickly um, because he wants to sign it soon. Uh, they asked his, you know, uh, press people, the Biden's press people, if that was the case, if he wanted that. And he just said no, <laughs> because it's clearly not. He's supported the whole two track process that Pelosi has been uh, advancing and championing throughout the entire um, course of this legislation. So um, so what happened is they, you know, threw a fit and there were these uh, fights in the Rules Committee and behind closed doors and ultimately the, um, the resolution that came out of it was that Nancy Pelosi agreed to have a vote on that bill by the end of September. Um, 
the flip side of that is that means they're going to have to get this reconciliation bill done by then too. I personally think that's it's better to be on a short time period so that they can get both of them done and we can get money out the door sooner. Yeah. Um, the, the question is, is that going to going to happen? And some people will say that, you know, this gives some leverage to the moderates because they're going to, you know, demand that we get, you know, we're, lower the cost of the, the, the budget bill. Well, that assumes that there's going to be Republicans that would vote for the um, budget, the bipartisan bill in the House, when, you know, keep in mind that by and large, the, the Senate Republicans that are supporting the bipartisan infrastructure bill are ones that are not up for election, or at least aren't, you know, scared of Trump. Trump has called the bipartisan plan a terrible deal. He's against it, even though, you know, McConnell voted for it. Trump and Trump world and MAGA is adamantly against any of these deals. And every single one of these Republicans in the House is up for reelection in 2022. So are you really going to get dozens of these Republicans to defect from their leader Trump and vote for this bill? I think it's a much easier thing to get that done in the Senate versus the House. And in the House, you have, you know, upwards of 100 progressives in the Progressive Caucus that have said they're not going to do they're not going to support a bipartisan bill unless we also get this omnibus progressive legislation done as well. So, yeah, my take on it is that it was just a big waste of time and uh, that ultimately it doesn't really scuttle the the plan. That said, we'll see what happens. The proof's in the pudding and these bills need to be, you know, passed by both houses of Congress uh, before we can declare any kind of victory on them. Monroe, what's your thoughts? Uh, my take on it is that they were jealous of AOC, the squad, <laughs> Sanders, uh, Warren, and so they just wanted a little press. They were they, they they just needed a little attention, and this is their way of getting it. And now that they got it, um, we can go go back to progress. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Miles, love to get your thoughts about this. It seemed as though uh, when you said that Nancy Pelosi held the line in this. Uh, that she was siding with uh, the group that uh, Monroe was just identifying or talking about, the AOC uh, Democrats, if you will, and uh, that she was smart enough. This is why I'm praising her. uh, She was smart enough to realize, as you pointed out, Miles, that there are no Republicans to be found to vote for uh, these measures, that uh, you're fooling yourself and really wasting time to talk about bipartisanship in Washington, and that the correct strategy for the Democrats to pursue is the one in which they get every single Democrat to vote for these Biden initiatives, which used to be Bernie initiatives. Let's just call it for what it is because Bernie Sanders wrote that bill. Bernie Sanders, beloved Bernie Sanders to Ben and Miles. Uh, And um, and so this has become the this is where the Democratic Party is right now. That's a pretty extraordinary moment. It's kind of hard for me to even just realize it's a reality. You follow me, Miles, to see a Democratic Party staking its future on stuff that has been proposed by Bernie Sanders. That's my take on it. What's your take? And, and they've been disciplined. They've been very disciplined as, yeah. as a general rule, which they normally aren't. You know, you have to go back to the old Will Rogers joke. About, I don't, you're not belonging to an organ, organization. I've, I've, I'm a member of the Democratic Party. Right, exactly, right. Uh, Miles, your thoughts? I think that that's right about discipline and the discipline that's been shown, I think has largely been in the 
progressive caucus, you know, since the, they've they restructured themselves, the, the caucus, which is the largest caucus in the House of Representatives with Pramila Jayapal as their leader, and they have been effective. If you look at the American Rescue Plan, you know, there was Joe Manchin wanted to lower the size of the stimulus checks and, you know, more right wing Democrats were trying to lower the eligibility for them. There was huge fights over that. And the Progressive Caucus stuck together and they got their way. And uh, same thing on the extended unemployment insurance. I think it goes to show how the center of gravity has shifted in Washington. I think a lot of that has to do with, as you mentioned, the fact Bernie Sanders runs the budget committee. So he's the one that's actually writing this bill. But then when it comes to the politics of it, back in you know 2010, during the Obama era, the Blue Dogs had the leverage, and they were the ones that were dictating the terms of the debate within the Democratic caucus because, for one thing, there were more of them. You know, there were just more members. Rahm Emanuel had recruited all these Blue Dogs in 2006, and that was the whole strategy was to get, you know, the most conservative Democrats possible elected. So there was just more of them, but also, you know, they they were just against everything that involved uh redistributing income or wealth, you know, taxing the rich or, you know, upping welfare. Now, those voices are much more marginal and they can do the kind of, you know, throwing a fit, as Monroe mentioned, you know, trying to get attention, but they are not, you know, driving the train here. And the fact that Joe Biden has seen that, you know, the future, his success lies on the Democrats having a successful term uh, in office. And that means actually passing stuff. I think that he's come around to that view. And it can't mean just watering down and watering down. And that was what happened. You know, I mean, I think the Ameri- the Affordable Care Act was an accomplishment in many ways. But we have to say it was watered down. And because of the fact that uh, the more conservative Democrats held a lot of sway in the negotiations around that. This time around, I think it's a different, the math is different. And uh, Nancy Pelosi understands that. And uh, President Biden understands that. And I think it's, you know, thanks to people like uh, AOC and the squad that have uh, stuck firm to uh, their approach. And certainly to Bernie Sanders, who's been the driving force behind this, who's also, you know, he's not just writing the stuff, he's doing the politics right now. He's going to Indiana, he's going to Iowa, to these Trump districts um, to sell the, uh, the plan because it's already super popular, even among a lot of Republicans and certainly independent. The $3.5 trillion plan is incredibly popular because it would actually help working people for once. You know, it would expand Medicare, it would expand child care, pre-K, um, do all kinds of great things that would help everybody, no matter if you're a Democrat or you're a Republican. So I think that it just goes to show how much our, our politics have uh, come around in the past uh, decade. Monroe, do you agree uh, that uh, just sticking to this, uh, the Bernie Sanders uh, budget plan will pick up votes for the Democrats in the coming election? Uh, yeah, but I, I have a different uh, view from Miles' uh, interpretation. of. I think that Biden sees an opportunity that he, uh, he will, in fact, be a transformational president. He's, 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 he's starting to compare himself to FDR. And so, uh, of course, um, AOC and, and, and Sanders and all the progressives are 
key players in this, but um, I think he's running the train, not um, not just um, trying to satisfy them. Oh, I I definitely think that uh, Biden buys into his his uh, his legislative proposals. I'm just saying I agree with Miles that for he. Biden has moved left on these matters from where he's been his entire political career. Uh, and I just I view what he's doing as so much more refreshing compared to what Clinton did and what Barack Obama did and how they tied their hands and they always moved right. And they uh, they fell to that that age old Democratic notion that if you go too far left, you're going to alienate America. Uh, and you'll lose votes. And what they're doing so far, so far, is in violation of that general strategy. Uh, and they're they're actually willing to head into the 2022 elections championing Bernie-type programs. I've never seen that. Miles, help me here. Has this ever happened? Wait, wait, wait a minute, Ben. I, I'm trying to think about this, but a year or more ago, there was somebody on your show that said that Biden was going to be much more elected than, than was being said by the, uh, you and the Bernie bros. Yes, that person <laughs> was named Right, exactly. I mean, I'm not surprised. I, I saw this. It, when, when the black voter sent him to the Oval Office, Mm-hmm. I, I I figured that um, he, he was ready to, to change, that he wasn't going to go along with that uh, go along, get along strategy that Clinton had and Obama had. And, uh, oh, God. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, there has been a change of mind. Cause, and I, I, at that time, I, I, I said that he could be a tra- he was going to be a transitional president. Yeah. I, FDR. He, had this he did say that. Yeah. You did take a victory lap. You said it. I bring you on the show uh, with young Bernie supporters, Miles, Micah, many, and you did champion and, Biden. And, and, okay. you, and you try to pay me as being anti Bernie, which I am not. <laughs> I, I love Bernie. I love his ideas that he did. However, I just said he could not be president because um, that wouldn't work. Fair enough. Uh, and I'm going to ask each of you a question that was not a pre-show. It just popped in my head. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Thinking of writing a column on this. I have always voted for, every time Barack Obama's name was on a ballot, uh, Miles and Monroe, I voted for him. Yeah. Okay. So I just have to start by saying that I voted for him in the Democratic primary for Senate in 2004, in the general election in 2004. I voted for him in the presidential primary in 2008. And of course, in the presidential elections of 2008, 2012. Uh, When he left the White House, I was viewing it very with like nostalgia and fear. And I was was waiting, watching Trump coming into office. And I remember writing a column saying Obama's the best president of my lifetime. So I am saying all this as a confession in a way of saying where I am right now, Miles uh, and Monroe. I am so disappointed in the post-presidency performance of Barack Obama. I feel like he is just sending out a message that... 
know how I phrase this, that he's a celebrity and a superstar and uh, he has completely abandoned the community organizational attitudes and ideals that supposedly fueled his political campaigns. And it was the reason he got involved in politics in the first place. It's his decision. He can do what he wants. You know, it's a free country, as they say. But I feel very disillusioning. Go ahead. He's gone Hollywood. No question about that. He's gone Hollywood. But I think, you know, and I haven't talked to Obama since he became president. So I'm guessing on this. But I think that he, he, he believes that Joe's got it. And Joe's handling it, and so he can uh, just enjoy his celebrity and and hobnob with the rich and famous. Miles, what's your thought about this? Uh, well, first of all, I would, for some reason, I had you pegged as an Alan Keyes voter, Ben. I didn't know that you. <laughs> <laughs> well done, my man. <laughs> he, he did contribute to the campaign. <laughs> But uh, under darkness of being in the ballot. <laughs> Alan Keyes may be more insane than Larry Elder's, uh, Miles. Monroe and I were talking about Larry Elder's, who could be the next governor of California. Frightening, frightening thought. Do you believe that, Miles? I don't believe that he, he can. Oh, I certainly do. I mean, I, I, I hope he doesn't. But if you look at what's happening in California, I mean, I think the tides are starting to turn now that it's becoming more of a two per seemingly a two person race. You know, they're trying to kind of heighten the contradictions between Newsom and, and Elder. But, you know, it doesn't take many votes and it's going to be a low turnout election. And Republicans are right now more activated than Democrats. The, 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 in terms of California, the thing is just, you know, everybody's got a ballot. So the Democrats are going to have to do some mobilization to get the, get yeah. those votes in to, yeah. to prevent the recall. So, but, but yet if he, if he is recalled, then yeah, I think that elder would, is most likely going to be the next governor. And that is a truly terrifying right. uh, yeah. prospect. That's, that's uh, even more terrifying than Alan Keyes being a senator from the state of Illinois. Uh, it's true, because well, he'll have so much power. I mean, that's the yeah. sixth biggest economy in the world is California. So that's going to be it's massive power and influence there. Um, but on the question of Obama, I do think that, you know, there's no I, I agree with Monroe. I, you look at that Martha Vineyard party. I think there's no doubt that Obama is embracing a celebrity. And the first thing he did after he you know, was in office. He did two things. One, he went like parasailing or paragliding with Richard Branson, this tech billionaire who's now flying into space. So that should show you, you know, what Obama's post-presidency plans were. And the second thing was he worked behind the scenes to block Keith Ellison from becoming the head of the Democratic National Committee and install Tom Perez, who's now, you know, after he ran the DNC for a while and previously had been the labor secretary under Obama, then he took a job at a union busting firm, uh, you know, right after he left the DNC. So that should show you what is going on there. And that was, you know, where Obama put his thumb on the scale. I do think that he's played that role in the Democratic Party in terms of trying to, you know, not rock the boat. He said some things since, you know, he left office saying Medicare for all is a good idea, you know, giving some big leaps to the left of the party. Because I think... I mean, my my broader 
you know, belief is that I don't think that Joe Biden is a super ideological guy. I just don't even think that Obama is so much either. But I do think that they respond to where, you know, the social forces are and what the center of gravity is in these political coalitions and constituencies. And for a long time, the neoliberals, you know, led the show. And that was where, you know, they were orienting themselves in their politics. Um, and that's starting to shift, and partially because that ideology, I think, has proven to be a pretty big failure um, in terms of, you know, trickle down, never trickle down. So at some point, you got to, you know, cut bait on that. Uh, and I think that that's had to, that that's happened in a lot of the Democratic Party. And there's also just a lot of new um, faces and voices that are moving into more leadership positions, whereas that used to be Obama, and Obama stacked his uh, his administration with Clinton types. You know, he was listening to Tim Geithner and Larry Summers, and I think that that just was part of how he constructed his um, his political worldview. And I think that that unfortunately is going to be a lot of his legacy. He could change it. You know, he could be out there stumping for this $3.5 trillion bill. Lord knows Trump's out stumping for Mo Brooks and whoever the heck he wants to get in place. So, or Obama could be doing work around getting voting rights legislation passed. He says that that's, you know, most the most important thing, you know, he could be uh, investing his time and energy in, in that. I know he's supporting some, you know, some efforts and financially, but like, you know, be the face of it, get out there. So I'm pretty disappointed, uh, as you are, Ben. I think that that's just the um, sad result. And, and just like you, I was out in, you know, Gary, Indiana, knocking on doors in, in 2008 for uh, for Barack Obama. So I was pretty invested in that presidency as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I wish we would see a more active and progressive post-presidency yeah. from Obama. Absolutely. And to Monroe's point, that's a great uh, I just thought of uh, Joe Kim Noah, who used to play uh, center for my beloved Chicago Bulls, uh, Monroe. And he had a line about LeBron James and uh, D. Wade when they were in the Miami Heat. He goes, they're Hollywood as hell. And he said it. He sneered when he said it because, you know, and I just think of Obama. I just think of Joe Kim when I see Obama. It is the projection that he's putting out there. It's just antithetical to everything he supposedly ran on. And I know a lot of the Obama fans, I think are so mad at me for this Monroe because you know, as well as I do the love and devotion that so many uh, democratic voters have for Obama is so intense. You criticize Obama in just any little bit and they come at you strong. You know what I'm saying? And he has a right to make as much money as he wants. And he's got kids. He's got to put them through college. And you've heard the same thing, Monroe, because you've been critical of Obama yeah. from time yeah, to time. No, but this Okay. You know, but, but this is the thing is he is, st he's still a young man. Uh, and so he can sow his wild oats now and then get back to doing some serious stuff at some point. I don't know if he will or not, but I'm saying that, um, you know, when Carter lost, he was relatively young. I mean, compared to where he is right now. Yeah. And he decided because he had been such a failure as president that he's going to be the best ex-president ever. And he's managed to do that. Yes, he has. Um, Obama doesn't have anything to move him in that direction, so he's um, he's he's like he never he never thought that he would be where he is, and he's enjoying it. You know, there was this there was this incident with Michelle where I can't remember this is a couple of years ago where there was some event 
that um, Michelle was going to with her mother. And it was like Beyonce and, you know, just a whole bunch of Oprah, a whole bunch of women. And uh, her mother says, um, are we going to get to meet some of these celebrities? And Michelle goes, Mom, I'm a celebrity too, you know? <laughs> I saw, I mean, they are new, nouveau, they're like the nouveau reach yeah. in celebrityhood. And so they, they, they've been drawn in yeah. by for now. I, I don't know if that'll last. If they thirty, I don't know if they'll be here, um, there, twenty years from now. But they're definitely there right now. Yeah. By the way, and uh, I can't escape basketball. That anecdote Monroe reminds me. Uh, Miles will get a kick out of this one. Charles Barkley, who I love, <laughs> Charles Barkley, uh, announced he was voting Republican, uh, and his grandmother said to him, "Charles, only rich people." Uh, vote Republican, and he's like, Grandma, I am rich. Right, so, exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, the great Charles Barkley, I love that. Yeah. Uh, course, my favorite Barkley, just while we're off, <laughs> my favorite Barkley is when he said he was misquoted. <laughs> in his autobiography. <laughs> yeah, he never read that autobiography. He was misquoted. I love Charles Barkley. All right. The MVP from uh, the 1993 season, right? Uh, yes, he was. It should have been Michael Leslie. Jeffrey Jordan, but let's move ahead from basketball and not just go down that route. Well, can I just give a quick, can I give a quick shout out to Michelle Obama because fellow with me on Dolphin, so always got to, you know, shout out to, uh, to Michelle. Uh, and you know, one element I just think that we shouldn't over, oversight is like, you know, racial politics has played into this, uh, the, you know, and oversaw how all of this played out. And I do think that Biden benefits greatly from being an old white guy yeah. who's just been seen as a moderate throughout his life. And so when he does these things, you know, and embraces these policies that are much more expansive, as you were saying, Ben, much more left wing, he's not going to face the kind of pushback that Obama would have and did when he and was did, behind right. Exactly. He, he, he was a, a socialist um, Muslim, yeah. <laughs> according yeah. to the right. And they just beat him over the head with that every chance they got. Well, uh, yeah, that's a valid point uh, about the, the obstacles that uh, President Barack Obama faced. Uh, but I was talking more about post-President Barack Obama. Let's move on from that one uh, and get uh, into the issue of Afghanistan and how Joe Biden uh, has handled things. Uh, and uh, there, uh, there's a two-dimensional thing here. Uh, there's the politics of it and how it impacts uh, future elections. And I guess there's what the morality of it. What's the right thing to do? Uh, and... Uh, I struggle with the, the morality, what's the right thing to do um, in terms of what is the uh, what, what, what should the United States do? But in terms of the politics, I'll throw this out and get your reaction to this, uh, Miles and Monroe. I, despite the fact that uh, Joe Biden's uh, popularity numbers have fallen uh, since this, the papers are filled with stories about Afghani uh, refugees desperate to get away from the Taliban. I do not believe it's going to be a force in elections. I have seen no evidence that the American public uh, responds to foreign policy, to matters that happen across the world uh, in elections. And uh, so I don't believe it'll be a driving force uh, on behalf of, 
of Republicans against Joe Biden in the coming elections. Miles, your thoughts on that just particular aspect of it? Well, I don't think it's even a driving force now. I think the drops in Biden's approval numbers have far more to do with the Delta variant spreading and the economy starting to, you know, uh, hit the, you know, some kind of, you know, element that we no longer are in the same frame of mind that we were in June or July, where we thought, you know, we're going to just keep on growing and opening up and everything. We started to stutter a little bit. And, um, and I think that that, and, and Americans are just understandably, their lives are impacted by that, right? There's millions of Americans that are about to send their kids back to school and are freaked out about what that will mean. There's millions more that were planning to go back to the office that now are not sure, you know, you can't, uh, overemphasize how much that, uh, yeah. you know, unclarity around the future will impact people's perception of their government. And so I think until by and Biden staked his initial presidency on defeating the virus, you know, he said that was his number one goal and that was going to be his objective and he was going to accomplish it. And I mean, he, the, the vaccination effort has been incredibly uh, important, but obviously it has not been a, a total success. And uh, I think that that has led to this situation where people are understandably not at ease. And I think that that is what's driving the, uh, uh, the, approval, yeah. the approval drop. Yeah, although there, there is something to Afghanistan in, in that Biden up until Afghanistan was being perceived as very competent as compared to Trump. I mean, he, he came off as knowing exactly what he was going to do and how he's going to do it, et cetera. And as a result of Afghanistan, there's some question on, is he really as competent as we thought he was? And, um, and then w- when you have um, these um, outbreaks of, 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 of the, the virus in the southern state states among the unvaccinated, uh, People aren't aren't making that um, delineation. They're just you know they just they just see the hospitals filled and people getting sick, and the fight between the the Republicans and the Democrats over the the vaccination being vaccinated or not. You know, I mean, for example, I find it incredible that the police union in Chicago oh my god is <laughs> fighting about being made to get vaccinated and you know and, and soldiers and police uh, these people they, they they follow all kinds of orders that they don't agree with but why they're going to make this a fight just um, escapes me well uh, this this is just popping up as we're having this conversation or a tangent with a tangent miles. Uh, I don't know if you saw this or Monroe. I don't know if you guys saw this. Someone just texted this to me a little while ago. Uh, Lightfoot is a headline in the sun times. Lightfoot forges ahead uh, with October 15th vaccine mandate for city employees, despite opposition from all four police unions. And here's a quote from uh, Johnny Canizera, who's the uh, president of the fraternal order of police. This has literally lit a bomb underneath the membership. We're in America. God damn it. We don't want to be forced to do anything, period. This ain't Nazi fucking Germany. End of quote. I, I, I just like, I talk about this all the time, how uh, police officers in the city of Chicago through the union have allowed themselves to be so far politically alienated from the rest of the city. Right. 
This is a city that is just, by and large. It started with Harold. It started with Harold Washington. I mean, this is not new. Yeah, this is not new. But, yeah, right. Yeah, but then uh, you, that's a good point. I mean, old timers like Monroe and I remember this started with Harold Washington when the police, uh, by and large, the white police, I should say, right. went for Bernie Epton in that campaign. But then this is part of the daily thing where they just bury all this stuff and daily pretends is like these divisions don't exist. And Rom did the same thing and he skated over this. And now Lori Lightfoot's confronting it. Miles, I'm just like astounded. I shouldn't be, but it's like how you see Chicago. If you go up to Michigan or Wisconsin, you people, you see people in Chicago, they wearing masks. They've kind of like bought into the notion that there's a, a protocol you should follow when it comes to dealing with a pandemic. They're rushing. Urge, we, we, we talked about this in the show, lining up, using their clout to get the head of the line, to get the shots and to be so far alienated and waving this anti-vaxxer, MAGA flag in the midst of this blue city that you're trying to while you're trying to forge bonds of alliances with the people it's just so anti counterproductive miles on top of everything else your thoughts on all this well, Johnny is pure MAGA, and that, there's no doubt about that. And, yeah. you know, if you saw that Trump rally in Alabama, they were even booing Trump for saying to get the vaccine. So, like, you know, they, they've gone so far off in that direction. There's no doubt. But that's marginal. So, I mean, I, I think you're right that that poses a big issue. I mean, we need police officers to get vaccinated. We need, you know, all public employee. We need everybody to get vaccinated. But by and large, most people have bought into that, right? And so it's not as if that that's a politically viable stance to like, you know, be anti-vax. You can have, you know, a certain constituency, but that's not, nobody's going to defend that. And I think that's honestly one of the reasons Biden's approval rating has not gone even lower, is that people are kind of blaming the unvaccinated at this point, because the vast majority of Americans, and certainly Chicagoans, are, have bought into masks, yeah, but also just to you know, vaccines and the idea of vaccine mandates, even, you know, you see the teachers unions are now on board. The trade unions are now on board. We're starting to get more and more buy-in, especially since the Pfizer vaccine that was given full FDA approval. So I think that that position is just going to become more and more alienating to um, the rest of, you know, the public. And I think that's what we're going to um, continue to see. But if we could just get back to Afghanistan for yeah. a second, I think that there's, there's, there's something that is, I think that Monroe has a point that this does seem jumbled. Um, and I think that there's, you know, clear quite Biden's, you know, uh, pull out of Afghanistan. But I think a lot of that is understandably the result of how the media has covered this and that suddenly there's a focus on, you know, the plight of the Afghan people. Whereas for the past 20 years throughout the course of this war, there's been barely a peep from our mainstream media about, you know, what's going on when we've seen war. Exactly. I mean, we saw there's a, you know, survey from Brown university that shows that uh, 170,000 Afghans have, have died as a result of this war. And that's just from, you know, the actual fighting, let alone from death and famine from other, um, other hunger and other reasons. So, I mean, this has been a travesty and it's the, that's the result of the military occupation. And I honestly think it's pretty surprising and courageous in a way that President Biden has refused because it's not politically smart 
to go through with this right now. Just look at how the media is covering it. The media is talking to people like General David Petraeus and John Bolton and these, you know, war makers who are, of course, going to castigate Biden for, you know, putting our American life in harm's way and everything. So it's not a political win for him, for Biden to do this. And yet he's still going through with that. Um, when Trump left him, you know, in a, in, a, in a bad position, we'll say, because Trump didn't go ahead and do the kind of things you would expect when you negotiate a withdrawal, like getting the special visas set up and getting, you know, everything so that we could actually get um, the interpreters and other, you know, uh, elements of the Afghan um, civilian uh, community that have been involved in supporting the, um, the the national army there out of the country, and just since late July, they have gotten about seventy five thousand people out of the country, which is a pretty massive evacuation uh, program. But you wouldn't know that probably from watching the news because it's all about you know how much of a bungled effort it is. So I think that there's some truth to that, but it also has to do with how the media is is portraying what's gone on in Afghanistan and how little they focus on the plight of the Afghan people up until, you know, a month ago. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I just have to say that tomorrow's show will have a good friend of uh, Miles, Sarah Lazar, will be on the show. She wrote an excellent article for In These Times uh, about a week. I read it last weekend uh, talking about the generals who come on the media and, and <laughs> why anybody listens to any of these people uh, is is just a great question. And folks, you know, our opinions are shaped. I, I make fun of myself because I read those three newspapers every day, just the main of the mainstream, uh, Miles. Uh, uh, and I tease Monroe because he watches MSNBC. So we're all to a certain degree, you know, exposed just to the radiation that they put out there of the message that is just constantly bombarding us. Uh, and you just have to really have a critical mind to kind of read through it and confront it. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I told you, Ben, Lawrence O'Donnell has gone through this. And first of all, he points out that um, while we have 80, 88,000 that we've gotten out of the country, during Vietnam, we got zero, yeah. zero. So, so 88,000 versus zero, it's, uh, it's, that goes into Biden's column. And um, also, it, Lawrence makes this point, which I hadn't thought about, is that never, ever, when you lose a war, is there, there uh, do you have um, not chaos? I mean, part of losing the war and leaving is always chaotic uh, because you lost the war, the people that won are there. And, and uh, so the way he, he, he phrases it is that um, nobody in our military schools have taught us how to uh, exit after we've lost the war gracefully. Yeah. I, first of all, I wish this kind of scrutiny, Monroe, uh, was employed when the war was launched. And all of us are old enough. Miles is in high school uh, when the Afghanistan war was launched. Yeah. There wasn't even the opposition that we had a year later uh, when when Bush doubled down by sending troops into uh, Iraq. Yeah. And. It was just a handful of lefties that I know that opposed the Afghanistan because people are so fired up over 9-11, wanted revenge, so bad, Miles. And uh, then then the opposition over the Iraqi invasion was far more intense. That's, by the way, 
the reason Barack Obama, in my opinion, was elected president ultimately because he took a, a stand against the Iraqi war and that helped him win Iowa. Uh, but uh, I, I just wish uh, we had seen some of this resistance uh, then. All right. We, we're almost out of time. And I, I really wanted Miles to uh, talk about his essay that he just wrote. We'll hold off on a discussion of Rahm as ambassador for another time. That's not going anywhere. Uh, I just wrote a comment about that in the reader. And I know Miles has got a lot to say about that. But I really want Miles. Going to Tokyo. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. he's it's going, it's going to Tokyo. That's where it's going. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we'll get Monroe. I don't know if the votes are there in the Senate. This is going to be interesting to watch this. How I mean, I just said we weren't going to talk about it, but you got me going. How will MAGA. MAGA senators, Senator MAGA's <laughs> vote for Rahm Emanuel to uh, ratify him as the uh, Joe Biden's uh, ambassador to Japan. I don't know if the votes are there. Miles, your thoughts on that? And, well, and, and will Bernie Sanders? I mean, you know, Bernie uh, famously said during his campaign in 2016, he was proud not to have the support of Rahm Emanuel. Yes. Rahm was still the mayor here. And, uh, you know, he's got no love lost with it as it comes to that relationship. You made a great point in that column, Ben, which is this is going to be an opportunity for Rom to be on the record and face congressional, you know, questioning about his history, including his role in the Juan McDonald scandal, his time as mayor of Chicago. There's plenty of, uh, you know, a long public record that senators are going to have to go after Rom. It'll be very interesting to see how that process plays out. Yeah, absolutely. Rom under oath. No ducking and dodging now, Rom. You're under oath. Uh, all right, uh, Miles, uh, let's talk about your essay. It was in J- uh, Jacobin Magazine. I thought it was a great one. Uh, and you were advocating for uh, people to get a month off. You said August. I think the headline said August off. Uh, that's always when I take my weekly vacation. And uh, I'm a big believer in vacations. You know, um, I only get one a year, but really, uh, but uh, one week a year. But I'm a big believer. It really, uh, it chills me out. I get some rest. I recover. Uh, it's sort of that edge and that insanity that motivates uh, me for so much of my life just kind of disappears. And I chill out. And I think everybody should do that. And uh, I know that sounds hippy-dippy and everything, but I do believe that. I believe we'd be a healthier society if uh, folks had the opportunity just to go somewhere and just chill the hell out for a while. Uh, Miles, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody advocate it uh, like you did uh, in your uh, essay that you wrote for Jackman, because in America, we have this notion that you're always supposed to be working, you know, and uh, that's soft. We, even though even all these like Jeff Bezos has got a yacht and you know, it's funny. You know what I'm saying? They're all, uh, Barack Obama. Now that he's gone Hollywood, he's got the mansion in uh, Martha's Vineyard. So they're always advocating for regular people not to take any time off and work hard while they're from their yachts and their mansions. Uh, Tell a little bit about the essay you wrote and uh, what made it motivated you to write it. Go ahead. Jeff Bezos has a super yacht that holds his yacht so that he can, you know, he has these, uh, you know, in case he needs to take the other yacht out on a little, you know, ride around the ocean. Um, the article is called Give Everybody the Month of August Off. Uh, I think that this is, we are past time 
when we embrace a European model of vacationing in America. And yet, America stands as the only country where we don't have any guaranteed uh, paid time off. There is no mandated, you know, uh, time. If you look at the European Union, every country in the European Union has four weeks of paid vacation guaranteed. Many countries have much more generous policies. If you look at Austria, if you look at France, many of them have five, five, even more than five weeks off every year for every worker, you know, no matter what uh, type of industry you're working in. And in many of these countries like Spain and Italy, they largely take the entire month of August off. And you, you, the reason is clear because it's a great month. You know, you just took a week off, Ben, up in northern Michigan, I know. Uh, it's a great time to get out into the water. You know, the water is just warm enough. You could take a nice dip at the beach. Um, sun's shining. It's a, it's a beautiful time of year. And in a lot of these countries, they just work that into production schedules. You know, they'll have the um, factory being upgraded or cleaned during that month. Or they'll, you know, have some type of... Um, uh, you know, workarounds in the schedules to allow uh, employees to take time off. If you look at restaurants, they'll just close down for the whole month. You know, that's not great for tourists who are trying to get their, you know, snack on. But like, you know, so what? You know, the workers have to take some time off. In America, we have not come around to that yet. And we still have this uh, punishing and crushing uh, relationship with our jobs where we think we have to work all the time. And that's because we don't have any federal mandated policies and unions are weak here. So we don't have the ability for labor unions to negotiate with employers uh, to get paid time off. So, you know, there are policy solutions to this. Actually, um, there's a policy report I talk about in that article that was put out by the People's Policy Project, a, a lefty think tank um, that calls for four weeks of paid vacation as part of a broader leisure time uh, uh, program. And that's the same type of program that, you know, governments, there's a lot of history to this. In the 30s in France, during the Popular Front era, you know, left-wing government in France, that's when a lot of this stuff was initiated. And it still uh, is the case today, you know, because once you give workers that sense of control over their lives, just like giving them the weekend, you know, they don't want to give it up. And so if we can make some of these strides, Bernie Sanders actually has a... Um, uh, proposal for 10 days off for every uh, for, for workers in certain industries he's put forward called the Paid Vacation Act uh, in the Senate. I think that could go way farther. You know, I think we should get the whole month of August off. If you don't want to take August off, you could take another month off. You know, I'm not for mandated months off necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, so you, right. Now, I agree with you, except I don't think it should be August for everybody because then you got a dead month. I think everybody should get a month off, uh, either in in four weeks or two weeks at a time, or it could be a month at a time. But if nobody's working in August, there's no place to go, nothing to do, and so that a specific month is not good. But the idea, I think, is excellent. I love it, and I've been retired for 19 years, so it doesn't impact me one way or the other. Well, I. Uh... I know I could just imagine uh, the opposition uh, that would arrive arise uh, if somebody tried to push for uh, the uh, guaranteed uh, four weeks off a year. And I, I just think of everybody. I mean, really, uh, Miles, the point you you raised that I wrote down uh, that really resonated was uh, unions 
how do I put this? Not weak, but we not enough people are union, in unions, and it's um, unions will make a demand. Unions will ask for some people have a, a difficulty asking for things. Unions make demands. That's what they there's negotiations. They make a demand. There's a counter negotiation, a demand. You know what I'm saying? Uh, a counter proposal. And uh, I'm a big believer in unions. I think we'd be all a lot better off if uh, we had advocates for us. They're not perfect, obviously, but uh when you were going on that riff and then you said, yeah, you know, that there's uh, union membership is relatively low. They go, oh, well, that explains if you don't have a if you don't have someone making demand on your behalf that has the boss's ear, they're just not going to give you two weeks off, let alone four weeks off. If you follow us, so no matter how much you may need it. Go ahead. Miles. Well, and that's why I think that the federal policy is the solution right now, you know, in the, in the, in the short term is to actually advocate, you know, we're about to embrace paid family leave uh, if we pass this budget reconciliation bill. And finally, this will stop being, you know, the, the only developed country to not guarantee some type of paid family leave if we can uh, pass the, the budget package. But as I said, then why not, you know, include uh, paid vacation as well? Give just paid time off for workers. That's the issue is that, you know, unions are not in a good position to advocate for workers across industries because, yeah, it's like 10% unionization rate. Most workers are not represented by unions, and so they're not able to have a voice on the job. That shouldn't mean, uh, you know, I think we need a revitalized labor movement, and it was militant uh, labor unions in the 30s in France that helped to win the uh, vacation policy originally, as I uh, write about in that uh, in that piece. But without, it, without that, we just need leadership. We need a national leadership around uh, this issue. And look, everybody, look, all of us, we just went through the month of August. A lot of us were at our desks. We were doing work. We were doing our jobs. Wouldn't it have been nice if we would have had this month off to just hang out and like go to the beach and drink a pina colada and, you know, <laughs> soak in life? I think so. So I don't know. That's, that's, that, that's my uh, position on the whole matter. All right, very good. Uh, I urge everybody to check it out. It's a pretty provocative article in Jacobin uh, Magazine. All right, Miles, thank you very much for taking the time uh, to talk to us. And Monroe, always a blast talking to you. Uh, Monroe is giving up on trying to convince, uh, to whisper in the ears of right-wingers. That was the headline from the first part of the show. I got a big kick out of that one. Uh, I, I suspect uh, that's a sound policy uh, to stay sane. So I want to thank Miles Monroe for coming on the show. Uh, and I also want to thank uh, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, for producing the show. And as Miles and Monroe will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. Doobie. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. <laughs>